Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 207. If you like Tetawakin, City of Gods, try these other games. We'd like to thank our brand new Patreon backers, Adrian, Walker, Andrew C, and Andrew W. All of you guys rock. Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. We are so glad that you've joined us this week. It is a dark week of gaming because recently the Super Bowl came to town, I guess pretty much for all of us who are sports fans. And even if you're not a sports fan, I bet you had the same problems I did this past week where people were making plans and going to relatives house and your typical Sunday night game night or even that whole weekend was kind of down and out and maybe kept the games down a little bit. So it was definitely a down week for me. How about you, Anthony? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And I wish I'd been gaming because that was a not a good Super Bowl, but this is not the Super Bowl anonymous podcast. We shall not go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> but it was such a bad game. Such a bad game. <laughs> and we know about bad games. If you're a Patriots fan, okay, fine. I'll allow it. It's fine. <laughs> then it was a good game. <laughs> yeah, then it was a good game for you. I mean, it wasn't even a good game. You just won. That's all. Yes. Um, it's still a bad game. Yeah. No, we know bad games. This is this one was a burn, I got to say. <laughs> it was absolutely a burn. Yeah, it was a very dull contest, but we have some exciting games upcoming to talk to you about this week. A little less Super Bowl and a little more board gaming. At yes, please. All right, Anthony, we have so much to talk about this week with our friends here on the podcast. Let's get on to our question of the week. All right. We're going to talk about some digital board games since that's what I was doing last night instead of watching the Super Bowl. <laughs> you don't say. Well, I mean, I was in front of the TV, but I had the iPad propped up over the TV so I could hear it, but not see it. It was, it was better. So I asked everybody, what's your go to digital board game when on a bus in a line or otherwise dot 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 watching the Super Bowl whiling away time? Lots and lots of good answers here. So. This isn't like, what's your favorite? This is, what do you play when you're just killing some time? So, <laughs> slightly different. Uh, Tim says, Potion Explosion. Tommy uh, and Brian both said, Through the Ages. Tim mentioned Suburbia and Dead Man's Draw. Chad says, Jaipur. Christopher says, Talisman. David says, Agricola or Lords of Waterdeep, if by myself. And, if he's with other people or family, Suro. It's good he's thinking of other people with the, the apps. Brian mentions Ascension or Star Realms. He does throw in Hearthstone. A few people did throw in Hearthstone. I would say it's kind of borderline on being a board game app, but if you compared my time in Hearthstone to every other one of these board game apps, it's probably still higher, so I'll, I'll allow it. Some other games mentioned here, we had One Deck Dungeon, Bottom of the Ninth. We had Carcassonne, Patchwork, Friday, Paperback, Nook Mall. Special shout out to that one. Thank you, Stephen, for mentioning that. That is one of my new favorites. Uh, it's a German roll and write game that is not out in physical form here at all and has no awards to speak of. So it's just kind of this super niche thing that I love. And Sentinels of the Multiverse, I can see spending a lot of time playing that game as well. 
for me personally, uh, at least the last six months or so, it's been Ganshon Clever, and then recently Dolpult So Clever, the sequel to Ganshon Clever. I do have the physical version of the original, the one that was nominated for the Kennerspiel. The new one is not out in the US, um, and I believe Stronghold's releasing it sometime next year, but I don't really care. I like the apps. You can play it in like 30 seconds. Those are the ones I really, really, really play when I'm trying to kill time. Uh, what about you? Well, it used to be Niroshimo Hex. I just used to bang that game out pretty quickly in probably less than five minutes. It's moved on to Seven Wonders because it's a fantastic implementation of the game. And it plays in probably about five minutes as well. It's yeah. always going to be Hearthstone. There's just so much Hearthstone out there, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I still open that almost every day. <laughs> and I guess finally, if I really want to get something a little heavier, I'm probably jumping into either Suburbia or maybe Ticket to Ride. They're both pretty quick, but uh, the AI is not that bad. So it's it's kind of fun to run through some different scenarios. But typically, the AI is not strong enough to kind of like give you a good competition. So it's fun to play, as you said, uh, you know, in between things. But I definitely want to get back to the cardboard. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think for me, like you mentioned Ticket to Ride and, you know, it's like that's a pretty light game, right? Well, if you haven't played the app, there are dozens of different achievements you can get that many of which are very difficult to get. So that is a great game that adds all these little challenges to it, just like Suburbia. So mm -hmm. if you're looking for something that just you can lose over and over again at, those are good games too. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Anthony. So that's what all of our friends are talking about. Let's get on to our acquisition disorders. All right. So I'm first up here. Let's talk about the Castles of Burgundy super hidden niche German leak, I guess, from a forum <laughs> on unknowns.de. So there was a toy fair in Nuremberg and some people snapped some photos. Uh, Alea's redoing their big box line. So the first two coming out are uh, Las Vegas and Castles of Burgundy. And they had Las Vegas set up and you could see the new edition of that. It looks very pretty. I love Las Vegas. It's one of my favorite fillers. But on the flip side, we had Castles of Burgundy with no pictures of anything. But we do have some information from this little write-up. We know that it is a quote-unquote deluxe edition of the game. It has new cover artwork. It has all the expansions included and almost certainly new components and layout. We don't know how deluxe. We don't know what it means by new illustrations. We don't know anything else because we've seen nothing else. But honestly, anything better than what's currently there is awesome in my book because it's just such an ugly production of it i know there's a lot of euro gamers out there like oh come on it's fine i'm like it's not guys it's not <laughs> and the reason i say that because i don't mind i love the game but the reason i say that is that when i bring this to the table now after people have played brass birmingham if they have not played this yet they're like why would i play this and i have no answer other than that it's a really good game and they're like well this other thing's a really good game too fair enough so it's really getting much harder to get the old games out to the table if they're super ugly. And it's unfortunate because the gameplay is amazing, but there you go. The game is ugly. It needs a new edition. They're doing it. Awesome. So I'm waiting for that. <laughs> yeah, I was really excited about this. I remember seeing this online. I was like, what is this kind of grainy 1980s TV kind of picture that I kind of see what it is? It, it Could it be? Is it possible? You know, through all the fog and... The interference and it's amazing it's castles of burgundy i mean we've been talking about having an upgraded version of this for quite some time and 
the real question here, I guess, with a lot of games these days is how much is it going to cost? Because I have Castles of Burgundy in pristine condition and a good number of the expansions that I paid, I, I think, at least $5 a shot each. So my Castles of Burgundy is probably a, I don't know, $80, $90 game. So if this is better, like production-wise, I might do that, but I'm really not sure at this point because it can't just be the standard one. It needs to have the Brass Birmingham kind of total makeover in order for it to be something worth picking up. But nonetheless, I love the fact that this is coming out because maybe other people get a chance to play it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good point, too, because if the price is high enough, it makes it really difficult to say yes to anything, right? Because you've got, I think my prime example right now is Suburbia with its $150 super mega edition that I'm still like, I don't know. And that's one of my top 10 games of all time. And so is Castles of Burgundy. But if if they're like, oh, it comes with all the content and it's upgraded and you've got little wooden bits and all this stuff and it's $100, like, ugh. Like, I don't want to spend a hundred dollars for a game I already have and a lot of stuff of. So th- they really got to sell me on this. I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, it's gonna be pretty rough. Well, talking about games that got a reprint or revision, so to speak, there is a relatively new Kickstarter up. This is, and I have to say it, it's Munchkin Dungeon, and Munchkin Dungeon is pr- being produced by Simon Games, obviously in conjunction with Steve Jackson Games. And it's going to have, I guess, a little touch at, at the very least from our friend Eric Lang. And basically, you are not looking at Munchkin in the traditional format. This is actually going to be a different format. And it's going to play, I, I guess, I guess partially how Munchkin played and partially how Arcadia Quest plays, which is not too surprising considering the fact that Simon's been doing pretty much everything they can with the Arcadia Quest type of engine. So in Munchkin Dungeon, you will be a Munchkin, and a Munchkin is a character in a dungeon delving, crawling kind of adventure in which they are trying to get the most loot possible, even if it means stabbing in one of their party members in the back. So you will take up a character, your character will have a special ability, so you could be a thief, you could be a wizard, a whole bunch of different, you know, classic D&D characters. You're going to get a baseboard. This baseboard's going to have how many dice you have to roll to attack and defend, how much life that you have available. It will have two slots for additional equipment, and it'll have an opportunity to upgrade your character with more life, more hearts, more rerolls, more defense, and such. So basically, you take your adventurer from the beginning of the cave, you decide how much you want to press your luck. You go down these different cards. Each of these cards slash rooms will have special effects and you will have an opportunity to loot the room, get gold, maybe even get additional cards, monsters, weapons, and such. And then at certain points, there are wandering monsters. These are monsters that are on the board that will walk around and you will encounter them. And when you do, you have to fight them. Now, the person to the left will be rolling the dice for the monster, But that's not it. Everyone else at the table will have an opportunity, depending on how much threat is in the threat pool, to play cards on you to make things even more difficult. Now, all of the characters in Munchkin, if you have not played Munchkin before, are all pretty much hilarious puns, more or less. They have John Kovalik's uh, artwork to them, so they're funny, they're cute, they're interesting. 
they're pretty much stuff that you've seen before. If you've ever played Munchkin before, these are pretty much the same characters, right down to the fine details. As you're battling with the monsters, there'll be a big mega monster at the bottom. If you're able to defeat the mega monster, you'll get tremendous amounts of fame and bonus points, and the monster gets even tougher for other people later on. So basically, whoever's able to take their fame meter, which is scoring all the points for defeating all those monsters up to 20 points, wins the game. This is fine. You know, I'm a Munchkin fan, mostly because of the artwork and the jokes and the puns. I like the, that kind of humor. The Munchkin game itself is okay. It's kind of generic, but I'm generally a fan. I guess I'm the only podcaster actually there would probably admit that, but it's something I play with the family. I enjoy tableau building so having a completely ridiculous character with completely ridiculous weapons and spells and ability is a lot of fun the gameplay itself at least in the original munchkin is pretty thin to basic i don't know if this is going to be everything that i wanted up for a munchkin kind of revival but it's something nice and worthy of taking a look at right now this campaign will back on monday february 18th currently it has over $348,000. So if you're interested, check it out on Kickstarter. They have the basic pledge for about 60 bucks, which is not too bad considering all the miniatures that you get in the game. And then they have a upgraded expansion plus that's going to cost you another $30. So now $90, but you're going to get some additional characters and miniatures in the game and some different side quests that you'll be able to play. So that's Munchkin Dungeon. Does this does this actually offer anything other than miniatures for Munchkin? Like it looks and sounds very similar to just Munchkin with just a whole lot of production slapped onto it. There is a Munchkin expansion, which is basically rooms. So when you play Munchkin, typically you play just based on the cards. Like you flip a card over, it's a monster, you fight the monster. There is an expansion to Munchkin where there are rooms that have special abilities that you things happen. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's miniatures plus a press your luck slash rolling dice because you don't roll dice in Munchkin. So there is some Arcadia quest elements in this game as well. All right. Yeah, because I mean, I, I'm just wondering what the audience for this is, because, you know, the, the pledge level is kind of low right now compared to the other stuff, although a lot of their stuff recently it's been kind of low mm -hmm. i don't even think it backed for the first few hours when it launched so i thought it'd be bigger than it is to be honest yeah i i thought that there would be a lot more stretch goals with a lot more miniatures added to the game so as a munchkin fan i was a little kind of disappointed with that and the campaign itself showed all these painted miniatures which it did say that the figures don't come painted so don't don't get excited but nonetheless they're like hey it could do all these things and there's all these optional buys so you can get Munchkin Cthulhu, which you really want, right? And I'm like, eh, maybe, but I don't know. Simon <laughs> does this thing where they have a lot, a lot of cool stuff. And I'm really excited about their cool, cool stuff. But their cool, cool stuff tends to be pretty expensive. And yet the gameplay tends to be on the lighter side. So it's going to back. It's already backed. It's over its $200,000 goal. It's going to be a minor success for people who do like Munchkin or want to get into this type of gameplay, but it's definitely going to be a lighter, press your luck type of game. All right, Anthony, so that's everything for our acquisition disorders. Let's finally get on to the games that did hit our table this week, and we're going to let you know if those games are a buy, and you should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play, and you should definitely sit down and play it. If those games are a dodge, and you should avoid them at all costs. 
or possibly if the games are as bad as the Super Bowl performance was, then you want to burn <laughs> them right from the start. Once again, with the asterisks, unless you're a Patriots fan. So then all for it, man. All right, Anthony. So what do you have for us this week? All right. This is a game that I've been excited about since PAX, since we got a chance to play it. Finally, finally, finally got in my copy. Thank you to Delicious Games and everybody over there for just figuring out a way to get this thing over the seas so I could finally get it to the table. That is Underwater Cities. This is the new game from Vladimir Suchi. Some people are calling it a terraforming Mars killer. I, I don't fully agree with that, but I also don't disagree. It's got a lot, a lot of cool stuff in it. It does resolve a lot of the issues that I will admit terraforming Mars does have. So real quick, rather than diving too deep into how this works and what you're doing, just give you a kind of quick synopsis. In the game, you have your own player board. You're going to be building underwater cities. And around each of those underwater cities, you'll build factories, farms, and desalination plants and laboratories and all that. These are represented by little disks that you stack up. They're going to have tunnels between them as well. And the game takes place over 10 rounds. So you get multiple rounds to kind of do these various things. And then after round four, after round seven, and at the end of the game, you do production. Production is when you generate all the stuff from all the stuff you've built. So similar to Terraforming Mars, except you don't do it every round. You do it every few rounds. And it's a set number of rounds in the game. It's just 10. The interesting thing about the game is the gameplay. So... Again, like Terraforming Mars, it has these giant decks of cards, but it is split up into three eras, and those match the periods between the production. So the cards get better at each step along the way. Um, the first era, for example, there are a lot of engine building cards, very basic actions, just kind of getting stuff into your tableau and helping you build up and do stuff. By the end of the game, they have like endgame scoring cards and big powerful things that you drop down and allow you to do more because you're getting towards the end of the game. When it's your turn, uh, you take one of your three little action dudes, you put it around the board. There are 15 action spaces. So this is a tableau builder and this is a hand management game, but it's also a worker placement game, which is kind of interesting. And you're going to place your token down on one of these 15 spots. Um, there's five green, five red and five orange. And you're going to take that action, right? And so these are things like gather these resources, build this tunnel, build these factories, move up the player order track, build a city, it, all sorts of cool stuff you can do, right? You can then as a bonus, and I say bonus in quotes, because you should really do this every single time, <laughs> if you can. But as a bonus, you play a card from your hand that matches that color and do the thing on the card. And the cards can be instant, you just do the thing immediately, they can be ongoing effects, they can be end game scoring, they can be actions that you activate later, all sorts of stuff that you can do with these different cards that are in your hand. The trick though, is unlike Terraforming Mars, where you might have 10 or 15 cards in your hand, each of which you pay for, and maybe they don't all have synergy with each other, maybe they do. These ones, you only get three cards at a time. So you start the game with three cards, you use one, you draw one, you use one, you draw one. There is a card here that lets you move up to four in your hand, and you will occasionally have more than three in your hand temporarily, but it's just three, really, really limiting your options, which I think is what makes this such a good game. Because one of the major issues with Terraforming Mars is that you end up with that hand of 10 or 15 cards. Some of them eventually become useless. Some of them are useless the minute you draw them, especially later in the game. It has... And as the decks get bigger, as you add expansions, that game struggles because there's so much content in there and there's just a lot of stuff you can't do. In Underwater Cities, every card you pull is theoretically something you could use. Now, maybe it doesn't fit your engine. Maybe it's not something you want to do, but 
it's probably going to give you something, allow you to do something some way you're going to be able to use that card or should be able to within the context of that point in the game. So that's a really, really cool thing. And it, you still get that cool feeling of building out a tableau, doing a bunch of cool stuff and having all these cards trigger off of each other and trying to work your strategy around what other people are doing on the board. But it's not so blue ocean. You don't you can't do everything and therefore do nothing, which is a problem sometimes happens. The other cool thing is you get your own player mat. So you can build out your cities, you can put stuff down, you can do whatever you want on your mat. And if you see a combo that you want to pull off to get the bonuses from your mat, you can probably do it. You're not limited by what other people are doing on the on the board. There's no area control aspect. All of the interaction really comes in is that worker placement part because there is one way to take an action someone else has taken and that is it. If somebody uses that, too bad, you got to use a different action. So it really does kind of limit and force you into different paths. You can't always do exactly what you want, uh, which I think is very important in a game like this. And is sometimes lacking in modern Euros where it's a little too open, you get a little too many options, really adds to the AP as well. The result is a game that is long. It's a relatively long game. It's two to three hours on the three plus range for new players, but very, very smooth. You only have three cards. You have a limited number of options to choose from. Other people are going to take actions. You have to choose something else. There's not like a billion actions to choose from that you have to fight over. It's just trying to work this engine. I need to do this. I know I need to build a city. I know I need to get some tunnels down to connect my cities. I know I need to generate some more kelp so I can feed my people at the end of the round. All that kind of stuff is built into the flow of the game. And it just makes it this very seamless, very smooth it's not clunky in any sense. You don't get to a point where you're like, oh, look at all this stuff I can't do or look at all these things I paid for that I can't use now. Almost every decision you make has a positive benefit for what you're doing. And I really, really like that. So overall, as a tableau builder, as a worker placement type of game, as a, you know, populate and uh, terraform or whatever the heck you're doing, some unknown space, this game really, really succeeds in a lot of cool ways. The one thing I will say is now that I've played this several, several times, you do start to see a lot of the same cards. Uh, and, you know, it's a silly complaint. There's 220 some odd cards in the three decks. So there's 70 or so in each era. You will cycle through most of them, though, possibly all of them and shuffle, um, at least in the first era for sure. And that means you're going to see a lot of cards multiple times. And that's not always as much fun, especially when you played it a bunch of times. So I do hope that there'll be more expansions, new stuff you can do, different ways to kind of approach the game. Uh, you can add these government contracts uh, to the games, kind of the quote unquote advanced mode that give you like milestones to work towards. There are also these S cards that are put out there that you can purchase and put out into, in, into your play area that allow you to have like end game scoring abilities. I think there's six of them usually, so everybody can grab one if they want to. And it can kind of just further separate how you're playing from everybody else. But overall, Underwater Cities is just absolute blast. I had a lot of fun with it at PAX, but we didn't quite finish the game. And we mentioned that in our episode. This game's amazing, but we haven't played it in full yet, so I don't want to review it. I have now played it in full probably half a dozen or more times, <laughs> including several times solo. It is still amazing. Only issue that I have, and I can't say this is a problem yet because I have not seen the Rio Grande version that's going to be published in the US, is the component quality is not good. We're talking like 
photo paper here for some of the components, little, you know, glass bits. It's a little bit better than Terraforming Mars still somehow, but it is not amazing. So I'm really hoping Rio Grande kind of steps that up a little bit just to give people a little bit sturdier stuff to work with. Definitely, I sleeved my cards almost immediately. They're not the most stable things in the world, but that's kind of a wait and see issue more than anything, because that might be resolved. I don't know. Uh, but the gameplay, amazing. This is a buy. Definitely check this one out when it hits uh, the US, probably here in the next month or two. Uh, definitely worth checking out. It's Underwater Cities. I think typically when people say that something is a killer of another game, it's always like you just need to throw that other game out. We both love Terraforming Mars, and I probably have said many times that my experiences with Underwater Cities have really kind of replaced Terraforming Mars for a lot of my gameplay. And in particular for me, the reason why it does kill a lot of the game time for me is because Underwater Cities is pretty contained. It's just everything that it needs to be right from the start, whereas Terraforming Mars at this point is being played, at least in my groups, with almost all of the expansions, if not all of the expansions, in order to make the game work as good as it should have worked from the very beginning. So the preludes are, of course, in there. The colonies are, of course, in there. And it makes Terraforming Mars a fantastic game. Once again, Underwater Cities, you open the box, you have a complete game right from the start. As Anthony mentioned, the component quality is poor, but hopefully will be upgraded with Rio Grande. And the game does need expansions, which I think it will get. I think this game is good enough that it will get multiple expansions. And being the fact that the cards drive a lot of the gameplay, I can't imagine why it wouldn't get just either simply more card expansions or upgraded board. Maybe we'll see a board that everyone shares in the future. So having gotten a chance to play this game again and again recently, it's definitely a high buy for me. And if you are looking for a game that's terraforming Mars light, but once again, that is more streamlined and elegant, I think Underwater Cities typically is for you. All right, Anthony, I'm going to talk about a game that you have played quite a lot, but I have not until recently had the chance to get this game to the table many, many times. And it is Anachrony from Mind Clash Games. We are big fans of Mind Clash Games. They do some amazing Kickstarters. Anachrony was one of those. One of the great elements of Anachrony is it's, in fact, a sci-fi futuristic game in which Earth has dealt with this huge catastrophe. And you are one of these four different tribes that are trying to rebuild their civilization by different means or different asymmetrical powers, but you're all dealing with the same board of content. So basically, you are utilizing a worker placement element in order to gather resources, gather water, which are which is key for this game, exchange resources, so you can exchange resources back and forth, turn water into resources or resources into water, and then be able to build buildings, which are going to be the main mechanic for this game. So you have all these different types of workers in this game. You have scientists, you have geniuses, and you have corporate people that are going to be able to help you. Some of the different worker placement spots are going to require a specific type of worker to work there. Other ones are going to get a specific benefit from having a worker, and some spots will not take a certain type of worker. So you have to be very careful on what worker you have and where you place them. Now, what's interesting about this game, it's got this little bit of a dystopian future and you are trying to kind of build back. So 
what you're going to do a lot in Anachrony is you're going to place your workers out to gain resources, but there's another way in order to gain resources and gain workers in this game. You can actually, at the beginning of the round, you'll have all these different tokens in your hand, and you decide what resources of workers you need that round. You place them in your hand, you show them to the other players, and you're able to go into the past. There's actually a really interesting timeline at the bottom of the board, and you're able to borrow from the past to bring to the future. So you might be able to get a certain kind of worker that you really need to bring to the future, a certain kind of resource. And that's going to help kind of build up your little civilization. But if you don't go back into the past quick enough, then you're going to have to roll this die. This is this time paradox die. You've taken something out of the past and you haven't put it back. So now you have to go back and use one of the buildings to actually time travel, go back to the past, pay the resources that you already had an opportunity to take, take that token off the board so you won't have any more time paradoxes because time paradoxes are bad. Not just because they're time paradoxes, because they're going to do something bad to your board. Basically, they're going to put down this real bad situation where you're going to have to pay resources or take negative victory points by the end of the game. So throughout the game, you are traveling back into the past. You are paying back those resources and those people. You're gaining victory points for that as the game goes on. And you're also being able to utilize your people. Sometimes, most of the time, they're going to come back exhausted. Then you're going to have to refresh them. That's going to score you victory points as well. And then basically throughout the game, there's going to be a catastrophe at some point, which everyone's going to have to deal with. If you're playing with the asymmetrical B-sides and everyone will have something different that they have to do to accomplish that, there are these massive projects that are going to give you special abilities throughout the game. You will also have an opportunity to choose from between two leaders that are going to give you special abilities that you're going to be able to utilize at different points during the gameplay. There's objective cards that are going to score you victory points because there's always objective cards <laughs> that are going to score you points. And basically, Anachrony is a basic worker placement game that utilizes some really interesting elements. It has some really beautiful, massive plastic miniatures that you can bring into the game if you played with the expansion. Now, I played the base game. I played with the miniatures. I haven't played with the different modules that come into the game where you have a separate adventuring board yet. I just played the base game to death, and I like it. Um, It didn't, unfortunately, meet my expectations. I thought it was going to be a lot bigger, a lot more complex, a lot more intricate. It's kind of short as far as the spaces that are available for you. You're getting resources and paying things off. I have great hopes for the expansion. I've heard really good things about that. So I'm looking forward to play the Anachrony expansion coming up. I think that will add just a little bit more that I feel like I need in the game. But overall, it's a good game. You should definitely sit down and play it. If for no reason alone, then the theming of the game is so different out there. So check that out and especially check out the Anachrony Doomsday Enhancement pack. I think that's going to do a lot for the game. The exosuits for me were definitely a plus. It adds a lot more to the sci-fi theme. Some components like the water are really high quality. Some other components, not so much. But overall, definitely an experience worth having. Yeah, I kind of had a similar feeling. I mean, I really, really like this game. But um, it's uh, not as big and epic in scale and scope as it seems like it should be, sure. based on the production and all the stuff that comes out of the box. But 
with the exception of Tricarion, I feel like most of their games are like that. Mm. So I'm not, and that's not something I knew when I played this originally, but it's not surprising. Sure. Now, you know, talking about this or Cerebria or some of the other stuff. And, and obviously it's not something you would necessarily play, but the Chronobot for people who like Solo is really, really good. It comes with like a whole separate board and all sorts of cool stuff you can do. That is in the expansion. You don't get that in the base, but it's, it's a really good solo mode. I mean, I feel like they have a really good feel for worker placements, even in Tricarion, it's worker placement with a couple of extra steps to it. And I like Tricarion better than Anachrony. Not that I don't like Anachrony, but I'd like Tricarion better. I would really love to see them do something different. Let's try a Rondell. Let's try a Moncala. Let's try some tile placements. I know Cerebria is out there. I don't have a copy. I haven't seen it yet. So maybe that does something different. But, you know, worker placement's fine, but I need a different mechanic to play the game. And when you have something so rich as a time travel sci-fi dystopian future, I just want to do something more with it. And instead of just, I have a worker, I play some air, I get some resources. So maybe the expansion does it. I'm looking forward to playing it and look forward to uh, more games from Mind Clash Games. All right. So for this week's review, we're going to talk about if you like Tetawakon, City of Gods, try out these other games. Now, Tetawakon has been the big Euro game this year, especially at PAX Unplugged. Everyone was playing it, especially at my game group. Somebody announced that it was on sale and everyone in my game group jumped on and bought it. So I probably do not have to pick up a copy for, I guess, let me say probably not next five or 10 years, because there are so many copies of this game floating around. So many people are playing it, enjoying it, loving it. I know, Anthony, you're a big fan of it. Yeah, man, it was my game of the year last year. I it it hit i got a chance to play it back at origins and then again at gen con and it was just like had to have it and so by the time i finally got it in my hands in the fall i i played it many many times over and over it's probably my most played game in the last three months and it's just i don't know what it is about it it's just that combination of very simple straightforward action on your turn you just move a die and take an action but then trying to manage and maintain all these different pieces of the puzzle and when is the eclipse coming and where is everybody else going to be on the map when it's my turn and where can I go that I don't have to pay for things? And do I have enough cocoa to cover everything? And it's not the heaviest game in the world, but there's also a lot you can kind of work out. Uh, and if you min max it just right, get the efficiency engine down, you can score so many points. <laughs> <laughs> I'm to the point now where I feel a little self-conscious playing this with new players where I almost want to just like set it up and let them play and back away because it's hard not to score a decent number of points and uh you know there's a pretty big spread here but it's such a it's really really fun i have a lot of fun with it all right so we are going to talk about six games going from i guess quasi light to quasi heavy these games are all i guess kind of in the same level but obviously some games are more approachable and if you've like anthony burnt out just a little bit on ted on city of gods and want to bring games to the table that people might love just as much we want to point you to games that are maybe already in your collection or games that you might want to pick up that might just be a total blast at the table games that play very much like ted's walk on city of gods all right anthony so on the lighter side what would you have to recommend yeah so a game that doesn't get a lot of love and probably because it's their own fault for not distributing it outside of kickstarter but that's merlin from queen games this is a stefan filled and michael rennick 
design, and it is a big old rondelle. You have multiple dice, and you're moving your dude around this the round table and taking actions accordingly. And like any good Stefan Feld game, there's like a dozen things you're trying to do. But at the end of the day, you are rolling and deciding which die to activate to move around this rondelle and then take an according action. So you are picking up different um, flags that you're going to use to fight off you know, invaders. You are collecting different resources that you'll trade in for points or to help you go to this shared map space where you can kind of coordinate to um, get the most control of different types of areas. There's a lot of different types of things you can do of course. Uh, but at the end of the day, the basic mechanic here is very, very simple. Roll your dice and on your turn, choose which one you're going to use and move. The cool thing too, is you have Merlin, who's the kind of a shared piece and there's a separate die you have, what allows you to move him either forward or backward. And if you have the expansion with Arthur, you then get an even additional die, a black die that moves Arthur around a second rondelle in the middle of the board. So it just adds a little bit more complexity. So very, very simple game, quick and easy to teach, but lots of interesting decisions. And it's uh, similar to Teotihuacan. It's There's more there than meets the eye, but if you're just trying to play a quick game or teaching new people, it's very, very straightforward. All right, a game that utilizes a lot of great mechanics from Teotihuacan is Roundhouse by Deep Water Games and Emperor S4. Now in Roundhouse, and we've talked about this earlier, you are going to have a very, very unique mechanic and a very unique theme which is all about these roundhouses, these large, unique world dwellings in which a whole clan of family lives together back in China, I think in the Ming Dynasty. So what you're going to do with your family members is you're going to follow a path around. So it basically becomes this big rondelle. It has two different levels, so you can jump down and jump back up like these roundhouses were multi-leveled. And you are going to pick up resources. You're going to pick up family members. You're going to be able to make deliveries. And as you go around the roundhouse, you're going to have an opportunity to drop off these family members onto a little sideboard that's going to build up an area. So based upon your ability to move around the roundhouse and pick up special abilities and pick up money throughout the game and resources, when you go to this special board, you'll count out the spaces and you'll line it up so you'll be able to get resources. As the game goes even further, those initial steps that you placed in that ancestral home is going to give you extra movement to be able to get even higher and higher throughout the game. So Roundhouse utilizes a lot of the rondelle mechanics of this giant board being just one rondelle. And yet at the same time, you and your opponents are building together at the same time. It's a great competitive game, and that's Roundhouse. All right. So for me, uh, in the medium space, we have a game that I didn't love my first time through, but with some expansions and the extra stuff you can add on, because it is a queen game, again, because apparently I love me some queen games, <laughs> it, it does get more interesting, and that is Fresco. Now, Fresco doesn't have a rondelle. Both games we've mentioned so far have rondelles. has a lot of similar elements that feel similar to what you got in Teotihuacan. On your turn, you will be using your apprentices, programming them to go out and take various actions. You're trying to buy paint, mix paint, and work on painting the fresco, which is a big shared space in the middle of the board. And it's similar to Teotihuacan in that, like in that game, you have the pyramid and the goal of the game is to build the pyramid, but everybody scores points individually. If you finish the pyramid, the game ends, but that's not really what you're trying to do. You're trying to just do the most of that part of the pyramid, right? To score points for yourself. Fresco is the same. So you're just trying to get out there and get your 
guys in there, get your points in before the game ends because the fresco is completed. So that feels very similar. The programming elements here, while not exactly the same as something like Teotihuacan, where you have clear workers out on the board, you do have to think ahead. You have to know where people are going to be. You have to make decisions based on where you want to be. So maybe you move two spaces ahead because the next time you want to move three spaces ahead, but uh uh-oh, everybody else jumped ahead to that same spot. Now it's going to cost a fortune and you can't go there. So you kind of have to mitigate and plan accordingly. So Fresco gives me a similar feel. Really like that. Has kind of a shared thing in the center of the board. And it's definitely one worth checking out if you're looking for a little bit older of a game that has a similar feel. And that's Fresco. All right. Well, a game on the medium size that, that does utilize the Rondell mechanic is Luna. This is a game from Stefan Feld. And it was recently reprinted and deluxified by Tasty Minstrel Games. They recently had a Kickstarter and you could definitely pick this game up. So basically, what we're talking about Luna here is the Moon Priestess. And basically, what she's doing here is she's trying to decide on her proper successor. And you are an acolyte that is moving around these surrounding islands in order to, of course, pick up resources, pick up temples, and be able to benefit yourself with different items throughout the game. So there is a main board, which is the main island here. And then the surrounding islands act as a rondelle. So you'll be able to utilize special actions to move around these different islands. And then, of course, your opponents are trying to jockey for a different position here. And then on the main board itself, just like in Tetuacan, where you have this huge temple being built, here you're going to have your acolytes take different positions. So you're going to jockey for positions. And based upon the strength of your position, you'll be able to knock out other acolytes that are trying to reach those the same goal there's also a little round board around the side that you'll be able to score additional victory points luna's a fantastic game and it really utilizes a lot of great elements from ted to walk on all right that's luna all right and the last one for me is kind of a no-brainer and probably a lot of you have heard of this game if only because it is one of the earlier games from Teotihuacan's designer daniel tashini that's zulk in the mayan calendar so there's a lot of reasons why this one evokes similar, you know, feelings and ideas. It takes place in middle America, takes place in kind of an ancient civilization. And it has a very unique mechanism for how you place your workers and move them around the board. So in this game, you have this giant wheel and multiple other smaller wheels attached to it. When you place a worker, you're going to place it on one of those wheels, and it's going to move around the board based on each turn of that wheel, which is basically a turn in the game. The game lasts as long as it takes the wheel to complete an entire cycle. So you can always see how much time is left. You can always see when something's going to happen. Very similar to Teotihuacan, which has the eclipse tracker. It has a lot of different pieces going on uh, and that you're moving up these different temple tracks and you're trying to collect these different resources and food and everything else you need to manage. But it also has a very unique feel of all its own. I mean, the wheel is the gimmick. That's the thing everybody sees and remembers. But the core mechanisms here, the worker placement elements are very, very good. Now, the game doesn't hit the table quite as much as it used to, if only because, you know, it's going on six, seven years old at this point. But it's well worth checking out if you haven't had a chance to play Zulkin, the Mayan calendar. There's also the uh, Tribes and Prophecies expansion, which is absolutely fantastic, adds more content to the game and really helps to kind of open up different strategies that maybe weren't as viable in the original. Uh, Well worth checking out. That's Zulkin, the Mayan calendar. And finally, for me, on the heavier side, and obviously utilizing a lot of the cultural elements from Teotihuacan, is Mexica. This is a game that was produced by Yellow Games. 
and Wolfgang Kramer and Michael Kiesling, some of our favorite designers. Basically, what you're doing here is you're jockeying for position using, I guess, somewhat of an abstract mechanic, but the whole game is about building these beautiful color temples, and you are moving your piece throughout the game. This is going to be your build throughout the game. You are building bridges in order to kind of maximize the different area districts and build the most temples possible. This is a straight-up victory point game where it's all about building up your area. And players score points, I guess, in a more El Grande side based upon dominance in that region. So area-majority game. So only districts are scored during the first round. In the second round of the game, all lands are scored, not just the districts. So there is an opportunity to catch up in this game. It's a beautifully colorful game, a really fun abstract. That is Mexica. All right, everyone. So there are six fantastic games. If Teotihuacan has done tremendous things for you at the table and you want to expand a lot of those mechanics and a lot of that theming into your game night with some different games. All right, everyone. That's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. <laughs>